This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Well, welcome everybody to our study on the last words of Moses as we continue to examine uh, Moses' final speech to the people of Israel as they're about to engage in the conquest of Canaan, uh, looking at the way he uses uh, the first four books of the Bible, uh, looking at what he includes, what he doesn't include, what he's adding, uh, his own various uh, interpretation on it and how that draws meaning for us. And um, we will begin with a word of prayer. And again, we will call on Neville to lead us into our meditation. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time set aside to come before your word. We pray, Lord, that you would make this a, an enriching time. Father, show us things that we've never seen before and reveal another aspect of your heart for us. We ask these in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so last week we, uh, we were in, in chapter 10. We still are in chapter 10. And we managed to get through the first nine verses. Okay, the discussion, and I'll do the, the over the background. Um, I've added one little bit that we didn't discuss, and I'll uh, last week, and I'll mention it when, in the notes in a minute. So here's a summary of um, our discussion from last week. The tablets of the covenant given by God were never meant to be destroyed and broken by Moses. Thus. A second set of stone was carved out by the hand of Moses, with God declaring that he would write again the words of the covenant. While Deuteronomy says that God will inscribe the tablets, Exodus notes that actually God dictated and Moses wrote all God said. In both narratives, the second set of tablets is a joint venture between man and God, while the first had been God alone. According to tradition, the material used is a blue sapphire stone. During the Second Temple period, the concept of a mediator became prominent, both in redemption and divine revelation. Thus, the tradition arose that God used angels as mediators in giving the Torah. And this is reflected in the New Testament in Acts 7.53 and Galatians 3.19, where both Stephen and Paul, both under the influence of the Holy Spirit, claim that the Torah to have been delivered by angels. Regardless of, 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 of this, of how they were actually constructed, they are placed in the ark that is simply made of wood, along with the, the broken first tablets. Moses does not elaborate on the specifics of the construction of the ark, which is well detailed in the book of Exodus, merely stating that he had made the ark out of wood, leaving aside the spirit-infused Bezalel and Oholav. Why has Moses neglected certain events and stressed others' uh, aspects of the narrative? For Moses, the central issue that the people of Israel need to acknowledge is how close the word of God is to them. God has placed his word in the center of the community, in the tent of meeting, which informs the Israelites that God's intention and delight is to meet with his people. 
God is not aloof, disinterested, or unobservant. He is accessible, a shield and a guide for the people. When the tabernacle is dismantled for movement, the ark is wrapped in tachash, a mysterious material of unknown origin other than it is some form of skin. The word appears only in Exodus and one other book. According to the prophet Ezekiel uh, 1610, God declares that he will wrap his people in tachash. He will wrap us in the same material that God wraps his, himself in. A break in the narrative occurs in verse 6 to 9, showing the hand of the redactor with a textual insertion at this point. Moses has been on Mount Sinai describing history in the first person, and then suddenly the scene shifts to Israelite wanderings in the third person, only to resume back at Mount Sinai again in first person with Moses. Jewish tradition has Joshua closing the text of Sefer Devarim, editing in the death of Moses and any other material we find. His hand is seen here with the retelling of the death of Aaron. The object and reason behind the insertion at this point is unclear. Aaron is portrayed as dying at Mosera and not at Mount Hor, as in Numbers 20. This is where I added. Uh, Rabbi Rashi notes that Deuteronomy says that the Israelites journeyed from Bnei Ya'akan to Mosera, but Numbers 30 has it the other way around. They go from Mosera to Bnei Ya'akan. Why does Moses, or Joshua, make the change? Rashi says, Moses is hinting here to the Israelites that because they were afraid to invade Canaan, they backtracked both spiritually and physically. Okay, cool. What this means is um, people, uh, Jewish uh, commentators are also having an issue with what is this insertion doing in here? Why are things a little different? And they begin to look for meanings, right? which is what we did. Obviously, this is just simply an interpretation of, a, of, a, of Rabbi Rashi, who is an 11th century French rabbi. But it is just as valid as any other. It's also important to note that the insertion mentions the lineage of the high priest following the Levitical family of Aaron through the son Eleazar. Perhaps Moses mentions the ark following his recollection of the golden calf incident to legitimatize the ark as a sacred object instead of the cow. Perhaps the death of Aaron is mentioned to note that he did not go unpunished and also does not get to enter the, the promised land. Regardless of the unknown intention, the word of God is placed in the center of the community. A Levitical priesthood is confirmed and their purpose is to bless the Israelites in the name of the Lord. Okay. So what we'll do, we're going to pick up chapter 10 from verse 10. and. And, and go to the end. So I'll start reading. Okay. Now I had stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, as I did the first time, and the Lord listened to me at this time also. It was not his will to destroy you. Go, the Lord said to me, and lead the people on their way, so that they may enter and possess the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. 
To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord has set his affection on your ancestors and he has loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God, who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Okay, so that's our portion and uh, that we will start with. Okay. So let's have a look at the um, first couple of verses. Verse 10. Moses stays on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights as he did the first time. And the Lord listened to me at this time. It was not his will to destroy you. Okay. All right, guys. Put on your Jewish caps now. Okay. What's the question? Any idea? Sorry, you need to unmute yourselves if you've got to uh, want to talk. Yeah. So is that the second or the third time episode of 40 Days on the Mountain? Right. There is a, there is a little discussion. Um, uh, the, the, the rabbis with a little fine-tooth comb have been counting how many 40s are being mentioned here, and they've actually come up with 120 days. They've come up with three, three sets of 40. And you go, oh, my gosh, this guy has not been eating and drinking for 120 days. I mean, this guy is medically in need of food. Um, but, of course, the tradition is he has been sustained uh, by the angelic world. And once, once you are uh, in the presence of God, then uh, uh, things don't work the same way as they do here uh, on, on, on this side of, of, uh, of creation. Okay. All right. So there could be, he could have been up there 80, could have been up there 120. There's this little um, interesting moment there. All right. Okay, so the Lord listens at this time. What would be another good Jewish question? What's the, what's the famous Jewish question for just about anything? The opposite. <laughs> the first time? Yeah. Why? <laughs> the Lord listened to me. And the good Jewish rabbi goes, why? I mean, why, why would, would God listen? Like 120 days, he wasn't listening before. Now he's listening now. I mean, what's going on? So they want to go, they want to ask, why does God listen to this man? Um, was it his persistence? Um, surely God's not deaf. Like, what is it that uh, brings the Lord to make uh, a discussion? Um, and, then, and then they ask the, the last question, why doesn't he answer straight away? And then how do I react if I don't get my answer straight away? Because most of us, um, if we are honest, when we pray and we pray anything, how quickly do we expect the Lord to answer? 
Strong wow. guys, be honest. Now. Yes, <laughs> most of us <laughs> will say, you know, uh, you know I, I've just asked the Lord and uh, because, because he's God and because he's super powerful, he's just going to answer. Of course he is. And in fact, some prayers I've even heard prayed because we've prayed them at Christchurch. We even thank God ahead of time for the answer we definitely know is a yes. Okay. Wow, that's fantastic. Oh, great faith. Okay, that really is. That's awesome. And I'm not saying don't do that. But let's also look at our hero. There's Moses. He has, you've got to admit, he's, got, he's very persistent. Yes? He is not giving up. And, um, and, and uh, why do you think the Lord listens to Moses? It's, it's written that anyone who diligently seeks the Lord, the Lord will respond. So it's, it's obvious in his persistence. Also, he set him up at the beginning to be the, the main person between him and the people of Israel. So surely he would also perhaps even listen to the counsel of Moses. Yeah, there you go. Could be. Could be this. Because the second tablets... Are, are a, um, a joint venture between man and God, right? The first tablets, they're just God. You know, it's all God. It's very special. God makes the tablets. God writes it himself. This is all, uh, there's no dictation. The second one involves the process of, of humans getting involved in God's plan, which is really a nice thing to learn, okay? Um, but... Uh, um, Aaron? Yep. Yeah, uh, for me, I think one of the questions that has, um, you know, um, come up in my mind in earlier discussions on this topic was that, what was this saying throughout this time without, you know, going into repetition? Uh, what would they have been able to say to God in these 40 days? I mean, if he's not going to be repeating himself, what would he be saying? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, and, and maybe, maybe he does repeat himself, like a lot. I mean, we don't really know because we do have the prayer of Moses in verse 9, um, and, and it's a prayer you would probably pray in, you know, five minutes, but there was a lot of time there. Maybe he, it's a dialogue. Maybe Moses is talking and receiving as well, and maybe that new information he continues to pray back. Um, yeah, we're not sure, but it is a it is a thing that when you when you look at uh, Jewish commentaries, they go, they're trying to figure out what can they learn from this. That perhaps when they pray, perhaps when I don't get an answer straight away, what should I do? Should I give up? Should I just consider God said no? Maybe not. Maybe persistency is part of the journey. Maybe that, um, and so they they look at a whole range of issues in their prayer life. At the same time. They also acknowledge that God answers prayer very fast. And we have lots of examples also in the Bible of prayers being answered extremely quickly. Anyone, anyone know, know an incident uh, off the top of their head? Okay. Yep. Sorry, carry on. The food in the desert, the, the, uh, yeah, the quail in the desert, that somebody had mentioned that. Yeah, that was a quick one. There was a bit of grumbling, and then we get um we get a, an answer. Yeah, anyone know where it's almost instantaneous? Nehemiah's request for favor to the king before the king. Yes, that's a, that's a quick one. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. There's there's, there's, there's a battle with the, with the sun being held still. 
Yes, that's, yeah, pray quick and yeah, we get the instant, instant intervention of the divine there. There's um, a prayer of Daniel. He prays and then instantly an angel shows up and says, I'm here, I'm answering your prayer. And uh, you go, wow, that's fast. That's not bad. Okay. Next time they do it, it takes like three weeks. But there, 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 are, there are many times in the text where our heroes intercede for a variety of things and then you get the answer. And then there are other times where our heroes seem to take a rather long time uh, as part of their, their times of intercession. Aaron, sorry, may I pose a question? Uh, we're just querying why the Lord God would listen to Moses. But yet, isn't it also written that that moment that Joshua made that request, the Lord God listened to him? Yeah. 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 He does. That's correct. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Um, just one thing that I, as I was reading a couple of uh, uh, commentaries about the way Moses retells um, the Torah, um, he's not the only person who changes a little bit of history. I mean, everybody keeps rewriting history. Americans are doing it right now, by the way, ripping down all your statues. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, uh, Josephus, when he does, you've heard of Josephus Flavius? Mm-hmm. Okay. So he, he actually has a, a history of the Jews and he sort of takes the Torah and he sort of writes it and edits a bit. Um, he doesn't have the golden cow incident. Okay. He come, when he has Moses go up for 40 days, he just said the Israelites got really afraid. He doesn't mention anything bad happening. He just says, you know, they were really worried for their hero and uh, uh, seems to miss the whole thing. But um, Moses doesn't. Um, uh, he's got it included. But it's just interesting that other, other Jewish people also um, uh, change, change a little bit of history too. So God listens. And uh, it is not his will to destroy the people. He speaks and he says to Moses, go back down and lead the people in their way so that they can enter and possess the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. So based on this, God has instructed Moses, go back down and uh, you lead the people. This is at Mount Sinai. You lead the people into the promised land. All right. Anybody know another narrative of that story? Another piece of history in the Bible? Another... We, don't, we don't often think about it. You'll, you'll know it when I say it in a minute. Who actually leads the people through the desert? A yeah. cloud. A cloud, yes. There's even an extra person. The mm -hmm. angel of Yahweh. Yes, let's read Exodus 23, which is uh, which, which actually has a, this is all part of the same time, okay, of Moses going up the mountain and all that kind of stuff. So Exodus 23, verse 20, uh, God says, See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him. Listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, 
I will be an enemy to your enemies, and I will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you, and he will bring you into the land of, and he gives you the long list here, okay, the Amorim, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. Yeah, Etc. <laughs> awesome. So we've got a Malach, an, a, a, an angel. Okay? He doesn't say uh, Malach Adonai, it's Malach or Malach Apanim, there's a Malach, but God's name is in him. And he's going to leave. Panav is the angel of God's presence. Malach Panim is the angel of presence. Angel of the presence, yeah. But Moses doesn't mention this guy. Aaron. There you go. Interesting. Now, why are we not, why are we, we skipping this dude? Any ideas why do you think Moses is keeping the, that supernatural bit away? Aaron. Yeah. Since when do angels have the ability to forgive? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good question, Ronnie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting uh, to read some some Jewish commentaries on on this because you know they get they get stuck when when divine figures other than God start doing um, forgiveness. Because yeah. uh, in Isaiah, God says only He can He will be able to forgive us. Yeah, and then you get to the New Testament and say, well, I, actually, you can do it too. Woo-hoo. Mm. Um, so, what do you think? Um, I think it's, it's, a, it's a very strange thing because mm-hmm. um, I've never seen elsewhere where um, Adonai himself separates himself from the angel that he sends. Uh, many times you see that um, there used to be... Um, a kind of euphemism of Adonai and the angel of the Lord. It says the angel of the Lord spoke just like in the burning bush. He said Adonai spoke to Moses through the burning bush. And later on, you say the angel of Adonai was in the burning bush. And yeah. so you could see that in a lot of places. And um, there was no time that Adonai tried to explain the difference. But here, it's, um, it, it's very obvious that it's different. It's a different angel. And um, <coughs> you, it, have it, it's, you have it's, it's a messenger, it's a malach. Yeah. And we also know, because somebody mentioned, I can't remember, there's a cloud, right, yeah. who, leads, who leads them. Yeah. And, uh, could it, oh, could it show maybe the failure because the, the, the angel of the presence only went because they, it, 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 it technically wasn't supposed to go the first time. And since they failed with the golden calf, he said, now... I'm not going, I'm, you know, I'll send this angel of the presence and then, okay, then I'll go, you know, it's like, so I'll do the two things, but it, it, in a sense, it shows the failure because it, it was just supposed to be the Shekhinah and not the angel of the presence. What the, they use, they, they invent the word Shekhinah to try and describe how God the, is present with yeah, his the cloud, right. And, so, um, and in the cloud, uh, how he can talk, how he can move. Um, it's actually a very clever uh, invention, so very, very clever <laughs> um, way of describing Mishkan, Lesha Ken, Shkina, all of that. Um, uh, Bernardo uh, mentioned a comment in chat, and it is one of the uh, comments. Uh, the word malach in Hebrew, what does it mean? Uh, messenger. 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 It could also mean angel, that's true, but it can mean messenger. And so in this case, who is the messenger in Deuteronomy? Who, who is acting as the malach? This angel presence. 
Moses. Moses, yes. Oh, oh, oh. Right? It's, it's the same as um, you can have uh, all kings are Mashiachs, right? They're all Messiah, anointed, but you only have one Mashiach. You still call the guy a Mashiach. Um, and, uh, uh, and so in this case, Okay, not saying that there isn't a divine element leading the people. I'm not saying that, and neither do, do commentaries. But in this case, they look down and they say, in this case, Moses is saying, look, God has given me authority. You really actually had better listen. Okay? We've got a, a divine figure with us, which we're also supposed to listen, but he's going to make no appearance here. It's going to be me talking to you because I've got some really serious things that I need you to, tell, to, to say. And the big one is, of course, Get your heart right with God. We've already had the rules for a very long time. We've had the Lord's presence, and, and we haven't succeeded very well. We're going to need to put this and apply this uh, inwardly. Um, and so one comment is, is that uh, the Malach is, is Moshe. Okay, yeah. Moses. Um, could be, not sure. Yeah. But we do, at this point in, in, in Deuteronomy, Moses is not going to reiterate that, don't worry, you've got a divine figure and he's going to do all the fighting for you, so you just sit back and relax. No, you're going to have to get involved and do some of the hard work as well. Okay, and so what is part of this hard work in obeying the Lord? Next couple of verses. Okay, and verse 12. And now, Israel, okay, what does the Lord your God ask of you? And the word there, etah, uh, uh, the etah is, is a time word, and it literally means now, like now, now. Okay? Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever time it is for you, it's now. Yeah. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? Okay. As not just back then, but right now. But to fear the Lord your God to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. <clears throat> and in verse 13, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. All right. So what does that sound like? Is that familiar with anybody? What does it jump out at you? Remind you of some other verses? Deuteronomy 6. Okay, yeah, it reminds you of what he said about four chapters ago. Love the Lord your God with? All your heart. Right, okay. Anything else? Micah 6.8, yes. What does the Lord require of you, a man, but to? No. Is it? Do justice, love mercy. Do justice, love and mercy. Humbly with heart. your God. Humbly before the Lord. Okay. Are there any other... Uh, uh, passages that leap out where you know Moses could 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 simply say, "I'll come down the mountain. Look, I've got a new set of the commands. Let's just do them, and we'll all be good." Okay, what he does is he's not saying don't follow the commandments because look at verse thirteen. Observe the Lord's commands. Okay, great. But before that, not excluding it, but before that, we have uh, the heart of uh, of where Moses is going with his, um, uh, with his commentary on the Torah. And so 
The focus isn't keeping the laws and the rules, although the obedience to the laws and the rules is there, right? But that's not the focus. The obedience is still there. Rather, the attitude of the heart is the primary concern, yes? Okay, but, but notice it's primary, but it is not the only thing. So let's have a look at the order, all right? Because that's always important. So fear the Lord your God in relation to um, uh, awe, reverence, respect. That fear is quite healthy. I think any of us could easily quote Proverbs. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of? Knowledge. Um, yeah. Wisdom. Wisdom. And so in that, in that reverence, in that awe, we should be absolutely completely hesitant to offend him. Okay? It's a very healthy fear. Okay? Fear the Lord your God. Walk in obedience to him. Okay? To love him and to serve the Lord with all your heart. Plundering in, in verses. Yeah. Okay. This, what do you think of the, um, uh, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart. What do you think of that word order? It's interesting that Moses puts it in this way. How do you love God? Walking is walking in his by walking in his commandments. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's uh what, what's the Hebrew say here? It's uh, okay, this here. So uh, what does God say? He says um about Israel and now Israel. What is the Lord God shall? Uh, what does the Lord God want from you? Um, uh, so fear the Lord, so to walk, to walk in all his ways, and to love Otto, to love him, and, and then, and uh, to serve the Lord your God, but it doesn't say, and love God by walk in his ways and love the Lord your God and serve. It's like, okay, those are now separate ends, separate vavs, which is a very interesting way that God is putting it. Right? We do have in Deuteronomy, yes, okay, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your meodesha, right? Great. And it is separate and it's around. Fear. It's around walking in his commandments. It's around you know, making sure you give him honor and respect. But it is a, a separate thing. It's a very interesting way for Moses to say it. Okay. Um, any ideas? How do you love God? All of the Torah and the prophets. <laughs> okay, so that would be focusing on the lelechet, okay, the walking. But you could also fear, love the Lord your God by that healthy awe and respect, that fear. Mm -hmm. That would also be a, an element of, yeah. of, of love. Obedience. Obedience would be another way. In the New Testament, what does Jesus say? 
Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do as I tell you? Okay, that's what he says. That means you love me, obey my commandments. Yes, uh, from John. If you love John me, 14. yeah. So, you know, the there's this. Let's love God. Okay, but it's a separate word. Well, how? You don't say, "I will love God with my heart." Okay, serve the Lord your God with all your heart mm-hmm. and your soul. It's interesting that Moses would shift it. He would put. Another word in front of love to be attached to the heart and the, and the, uh, the, the service. So he has already said in Deuteronomy 6 in the Shema, love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, and with your strength. So we get that definitely. Aaron, the word, is, the word used here is required. So the Lord God requires that. It's not like it's an option. Could that be Tzrihik or Tzrihik? What is that? Or does Shoel? Shoel. Oh, Shoel. This all, which is ask, isn't it? Are it's a request, yes. Requests. Yeah. And uh, when God requests something, it has a certain weight about it. Uh, yes, it's not something that you ignore. Okay. <laughs> like the, um, the, the, we're invited to the wedding, but we're not coming. That doesn't work well. Okay. Uh, for everybody intended. Um, yes, it is, a, it is a request and it has weight. And it has, uh, and there's a lot to it. And the request is fear, walk, love, serve with heart, soul. And, and it does have something to do with the commandments uh, of the Lord. So they're all put in there, in there together. So he doesn't give this long rendition of all 613 rules. Okay. It's a lot, a lot smaller. But the issue is make sure it's with your heart okay so Aaron, can, I, can i ask you a question about the oh, just an observation you always hear about the tabernacle being the body soul and spirit and just uh within these couple of days talking about the heart and i just started meditating on that and looking at the tabernacle and how it talks about the side selah same things and adam same word selah on the side and then i thought so there's the sides you've got I mean, I might, this might be totally way off, but the sides, like the lungs are on the sides, the rib cage is on the sides, the heart in the center. Oh, the way man. And that's why in Jeremiah he says, you know, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. So I just thought how interesting how that's kind of physically in the center on, you know, this between the sides and you've got these, rib cage on both sides the lungs and you have of course the heart which is you know then Aaron they would well yeah he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and the heart being like the centrality of blood and if you no blood no pumping no no life and um so I just kind of was thinking physically uh, how that could be something interesting to think about I don't know yep it, it's, there's a lot of that in the, in the Bible when you have a look for those little links. Um, when God builds his temple on Mount Zion, where does he build it? Does he build it at the top? The tabernacle, yeah, the, yeah, the, the tabernacle being the, like the, the full temple and then the Holy of Holies on the top, right? But like in the, in the, the actual temple itself. So, Roddy, you know the answer to this question. Where does God build his, his temple? Which part of the mountain? The heart of it? On the east. No, in the middle. Yeah. yeah. So the, the actual mountain was sloped like this. 
okay, the original mm -hmm. one. And God put his temple about here. This bit gets hacked away later on in history to make it flat. But it never used to be like that. Used to actually oh. give, okay. So King Herod comes along and goes, oh, I don't like this bit. And then oh, the God, because Jerusalem actually still goes up from the Temple Mount. Like when you, when you approach from the north, you walk down towards the temple. And uh, so it's very easy. That that's the way. So God will, at the moment, it, it demonstrates something about God. And later on in Revelation, you get that very cool verse that uh, uh, one day all other mountains will be laid low and my mountain will be raised up. So currently, the Temple Mountain is the lowest mountain in Jerusalem. They, all other mountains are actually higher than it. They all look down. Um, but that will not always be the case. So, but it, it demonstrates, again, yeah, something about the characteristics of God. You, you see it in his floor plans. You see it in, uh, in, the, in where he puts his, uh, himself in the center of his community. Uh, we're made in his image in all of that incredible mystical mm -hmm. way, which uh, just gets okay. better and better the deeper you try and understand it, which is great. Okay. So verse 13, uh, to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for what? Why is it good? <laughs> Why do you think it's good to follow the commandments of the Lord? It's life. Okay. It's life. What else? Anything more specific? Does Jesus perhaps um, <clears throat> sum it up uh, rather beautifully in John 14 when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments? Yes, um, there is definitely a, a healthy, active love that wants to become part, obey God's teaching. Yeah, and, and Jesus goes on to say, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. So there there's, seems to be a tremendous emphasis here on the relationship that is to be built. And obviously, God's will is to have his word um, as a part of my life. Um, this is very much Moses' emphasis, but it seems to be Jesus' emphasis as well. Um, so... Normally, when we think of keeping God's word, we think of what Moses is talking about, I suppose, <clears throat> the whole business of, of the commandments. You know, you've got the Ten Commandments, uh, whatever they all are. You know, no other gods before me. You won't worship any image. You will not take the Lord's name in vain. You will keep the Sabbath, honor your parents, and so on. You will not murder, commit adultery, steal, or bear false witness. You will not covet. And sometimes I look at these and I think, well, I'm not faring too badly when I look at those. <laughs> uh, I don't commit adultery, and I don't normally steal anything. And, uh, and uh, I don't believe I bear false witness against my neighbor. Oh. You're on mute. But it's just um, a, a concern of mine that, that very often when Jesus says something like this, you know, you will keep my commandments, he's got a lot more in mind than, than simply the Ten Commandments, it seems to me. And Paul picks up in this in some sense, and he says, for example, um, in Ephesians 4.31, he says, I am commanded 
to put away all bitterness, wrath, clamor, and evil speaking. And in verse 32, it goes on, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Now, all of this tends to put the law with feet on the ground, if you know what I mean, yep. in terms of my reaction to it all. And I think that's, that's sort of involved in this whole business. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. I think a lot of us are going to agree with you, Elliot. And uh, one of the things that I've become to appreciate in my uh, walk, uh, you know, sojourning here, is um, the, the delight and the ability to gather together with brothers and to constantly think and wrestle and discuss and learn and pray and study these commandments uh, constantly encouraging and being encouraged to put them into practice. And um, I think it's very healthy. It's very healthy for me. Uh, it's very healthy for all of us. And, uh, and the blessing that you get, the blessing you get with Jesus is that God's going to come and live with us. God's going to come and make his dwelling with us. And the blessing you get in Moses is almost exactly the same. But one, the word of the Lord is in, in the middle of your camp. But he just says simply, it's for your good. And when you look at the commands, um, you'd be pretty hard-pressed to, 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 to find one to say, you know what, that's, that's just a bad command. You know, um, that really, really hampers me. I mean, the, um, the, the not murdering, that's pretty obvious. You know? But um, uh, the, the ideas of, well, actually, uh, uh, a healthy lack of jealousy is pretty healthy for you too, by the way. Um, the, you know, there's a, there's a lot there about um, how you treat the foreigner. That's actually pretty healthy for you. Uh, it's all actually for, our, for a, a very healthy and just society. And, um, I mean, some of very simply, look, these laws are very good. They're really good for you. And um, so, actually, you really want to do them. Aaron, if, if, if I'm correct, uh, following on from what Elliot was saying, when Lord Jesus says that and he speaks of the, the Beatitudes, for example, he's literally saying, I am the embodiment of what I'm speaking. What I'm telling you is not just a bunch of words. It's me. It's what I live. It's how I do things, right? I am the embodiment of everything I speak. So perhaps what Moses is trying to say. Good. Yeah. Sorry, I've, uh, sorry I, I had an interference there. So literally, I think maybe... It, it, it goes a little bit beyond just simple obedience yeah. of, 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 the, of the commandments. It actually has to be something that's in your heart that you are literally living. And I think you, you see that in the, in the sentences that Moses, and every time that the Bible shrinks down the law, right, or takes, always taking those 613 laws and shrinking it down to its core Bit, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Um, uh, love mercy. Walk, do justice. You know, walk humbly. You know, these kinds of things. Or here, fear the Lord. Walk. There's an action. Walk in obedience. Love. There's with, with all heart, soul, and strength. Serve. Okay. And uh, with heart and soul. Uh, and then, of course, the, the commands are in there as well. They're not neglected. You never throw them out. Um, and it's all actually beneficial. And I think that, that is the, the Moses is it's here giving, you know, again, the correct approach. If you didn't have Deuteronomy, if you just had Exodus, Leviticus, you know, Numbers, and the, 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 the no commentary around, 
you could go down a rather strict line of how you're supposed to be doing things. Christians have done this as well. We're, we're not, we look at our own, own uh, lives here. Uh, uh, the Christian church has had its fair share of being very legalistic and missing the intention of the Torah and missing uh, the heart of God and doing things that have not been for the good of the society, and, uh, which is kind of bizarre. Yeah. Aaron, the thing I get from this is this, the two verses we've been looking at is that uh, as an antidote to focusing on the commandments and the rules and the judgments for their own sake, we have these two aspects. The first one is it's actually the relational thing to do with fearing God and loving him. So that's right up front there yeah. in what he says. And then the next thing to realize is actually it's for your own good. You don't you don't do these commandments just because you're focusing on the commandments for their own sake. You're doing it because out of relationship and actually remember it's all good. <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's going to be life and health. Yeah. And so, but people get the, you know, people get so focused on uh, the, the commandments and, and doing them, doing the detail. And that's just a human characteristic. We all do. We all have that tendency. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the relationship and the realizing actually the Lord wants to bring us into blessing and good and, and a wide place. Yes. Yes. And a good God couldn't give you a bad command. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. just to add to that, uh, Maron, um, on, on that line, you, if you, if you see the, the, the words of Paul to the Romans is in Romans 12, he says that, um, I beseech you, my brethren, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. It, and he ends up with saying, which is your reasonable service? You know that what? Which is a good thing or a proper thing for you to do? Because when you do that, then you are in good health, you are in sound mind, and the Lord is blessed. You know, it's, it's, it's a two-sided thing. We, we yep. do it for the Lord, but we have, we have been blessed by it all the same. Yep. And who... And, and who gets to do all of this? Samson? Anybody? Everyone. From, from Moses right down to the, to the slave. Okay? There's no class distinction. There's no race distinction. There's no sex distinction. There's, a, there's something you all do. And, and you end up with the same uh, result. Good. The same result. Love. The same result. Okay? Happiness. Uh, there's a, um, uh, and this is, this is, you know, one of Mo Moses is, it has, is, is, has been wrestling with this actually f ever right since the beginning. He's talking to a group of Israelites who are about to go in and have success and their success could lead to their eventual idolatry and turning away. Right. You know, that's sort of, you're going to get blessed and then the blessing actually turns out bad. And so doing his best to make sure that, the defense is put it inside your, uh, your heart, put it inside your, your families, teaching it to your children, having a memory of uh, what's been going on in the past. There's an interesting um, um, story about uh, uh, this, you know, how you know, rabbis are always trying to create new stories uh, uh, to reflect a, a truth. And, and you guys have heard of Rabbi, Rabbi Nachman, Anyone? Yeah. 
Yeah, he's that 18th century guy who's buried in uh, the yeah. Ukraine. Um, and the Bratslav uh, community think he's the Messiah and they travel to his tomb every time and they paint his little, uh, his, his mantra, Na Nach, Nachman, Nachman, Milman, all over Jerusalem. Um, uh, he has this story. He's, he was known as a very good storyteller. Uh, he has a story of a king. And this king has this beautiful kingdom and everyone's very happy. And he has a son and his son's a really nice guy and everyone's very happy. And uh, one day he has a banquet and everyone uh, goes to the, to the banquet. And halfway through the banquet, the king stands up and he says, I'm actually going to abdicate. I'm going to give all my wealth and all my power and my crown to my son. And I'm going to go off and become a beggar. And everyone's kind of stunned. They're not quite sure what they're supposed to say. And the king says, and uh, I had a dream last night, actually. I had a dream that uh, my son was actually going to lose his kingdom. And, um, and I was going to meet him again um, as, as a beggar. And uh, so I'm going away to be a beggar and my, my son's going to be a king. He's going to lose his kingdom. We'll eventually meet as a beggar. And he turns to his son and he says, and son, when I do meet you, I, I hope that you're just as happy now uh, in the future as you are now. I hope you'll be a happy beggar as you'll be a happy king. And, and, and walks off. And they're trying, to, they're trying to say that you can have everything, you can have the lot, and, uh, and you can be happy. But what happens when it's taken away? Where is it really? It can be in your heart. You, know, you, can, uh, the, the, you can be a slave and be happy doing this. You can be a king and be happy doing this. You can be a beggar. Um, and, and, it, and these rules apply to everyone, and, uh, which is a really cool little thing. All right. So... Um, it's relational. It's God wants to be very close in, in, in the community. Uh, he has given rules and laws and, and ways to do things, and it's all for good. And then Moses continues in verse 14, that the Lord your God, to the Lord your God, belong the heavens, the highest heavens, the earth, and everything that is in it. Okay, so um, God is uh, incredibly powerful. He owns everything. And yet, God has set his affection on your ancestors. He has loved them. God considers Israel to be a very special possession, even though right, um, he is the master of absolutely everything. There's this little bit of the everything that uh, is special. And remember, this is in context that only about eight verses before, God was going to destroy everyone. Okay, you know, God owns everything. God's fantastic. He's very powerful, and you're a very special treasure. Oh yes, but by the way, He was going to wipe you out not too long ago. Um, you know, there are there is a, an interesting aspect of God. Uh, you know, He He chooses Moses to lead the people, and then you get that interesting verse that He was going to go out and kill him because He hadn't circumcised His kids. And you go, whoa, where did that come from? There's a, uh, but here we are reminded that God has a, a, a special love for the Avot, for the patriarchs, and he has chosen his people. Okay, these are a very special possession. Uh, and their descendants, that's the inheritance part of, of, of this. Two, uh, two verses later it says there are no, he has no favorites. Yes, isn't that interesting? You are my favorites, but I have no favorites. 
Yes. What is chosen? What does chosen mean? Yeah. And, and that's, the, that's the beautiful tension that you find in Hebrew, all throughout the Hebrew Bible. Right? Um, uh, Aaron, can I ask a question in relation to that? You mentioned chosen. So, so what does it mean? Many are called, few are chosen. Well, that's a good one. Yeah, many are called, few are chosen. Yeah. Well, that must involve at least some, something to do with the reaction from the people, you know, whether, how they respond to their calling. Yeah. I mean, not if you're a Calvinist, but uh, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, they're, they're, yeah, I think I, so. I, go for it, Samson. Yeah, I think so, because um, if you, if, I mean, the, the call of God is to everyone. I mean, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But as the scripture says, it says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So who is going to respond to that call? That's the, that, that will now become the chosen at the right. end of the day. Yeah. Being chosen, what does that mean? Does that mean you now have a life of luxury and everything will be given to you? Actually, one way of thinking of it is that the, the, the people of God here, they were chosen to serve, not, cho not chosen in the sense that we often think is chosen for salvation. Right. Yes, we, often, yes, we think of, of, uh, of chosen as being, um, being now, I've been chosen, I'm now elevated to a special place. Um, there's no work involved. Yeah. Um, I am saved and set free from any sort of uh, uh, responsibility, yet actually being chosen leads to responsibility. Can you remember that I, I'm sorry. So can you connect that to the that short parable that Lord Jesus gives where he says that does the servant when he comes home expect to be served or does his servant say, well, it was expected of me? You know, the uh, unprofitable servant, doesn't it? Unprofitable servant, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so uh, remember... We had talked about that. Yeah, we had talked about that in Deuteronomy nine thirteen. I remember Arie made made an interesting comment, Aaron also, about you know the stubbornness of the people. I thought that was very interesting. That one, you know, just a couple weeks back. Do you remember that Arie? You had mentioned about that. About uh, what was that comment? Very interesting. You mentioned about that. Metal loss. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to go back and listen to three weeks of tapes. Yeah, yeah, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. So I I think that um, uh, just to, just as in the in the last couple of verses, love God, walk in His ways, keep His commandments. Being chosen leads to responsibility and has something to do with obedience. That uh, there's there's this mutual um, relationship that God has with His people. He delights to bless, yes, but He also delights to be obeyed too. Right? There's this reciprocal part. You know, He delights to watch His people learn and and make good choices. Um, and so, in verse sixteen, okay, uh, this is now that we're now that we are. Uh, Israel's a chosen people about to enter this promised land. Um, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be a stiff-necked people any longer, which is that verse of Deuteronomy 9.13. Okay? So 
Um, the attitude of the heart is always important. Okay, so let's talk about circumcision. Alrighty, so you get yourself circumcised. Everybody knows what that means, yes? Okay, you get a small child and remove a small bit of skin, throw that away, and um, great. So we're circumcised, we're part of the people. Do you ever see that? Does anyone actually see a circumcision? No, why not? Because everyone got clothes on. So, <laughs> I mean, really, honestly, I mean, no one's walking out Jerusalem rather naked going, see, we're all circumcised, we are the people of God, right? Um, it's true, you do circumcise. Yes, it is a mark of the covenant. Absolutely. It, it, there are some beautiful prayers and blessings that are said around it uh, and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the physical circumcision is hidden. How do you prove that you're circumcised to people who are walking down the street? Right? You're walking down the street of downtown Athens. Here we are in a pagan city and people got idolatry going on everywhere and temple prostitutes and things. How do you prove that you're one of the people of God? The testimony. Yeah, because you, you, you want to think so, David. Yeah, because you ain't going to be whopping out anything and showing people, see, I'm, I'm Jewish and I'm obeying the Lord. <laughs> well, not right now you're not, okay? <laughs> But, uh, and, and so, yes, it does come down to something that we actually do, how we behave, how are we treating others, and uh, where does all that behavior stem from? Moses is telling us it stems from the heart. He's not saying don't circumcise. He's not saying don't do the physical thing. He's not saying don't obey the Torah and, 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 and circumcise, but he says, make sure that you circumcise your hearts because we've just had 40 years of wandering around the desert and we're not doing too well so far, right? And, and which is also bizarre because they're not even circumcised themselves yet, right? They're going to they're get circumcised um, uh, when they get into, into, into Jordan. When they cross the Jordan, then they're going to circumcise themselves, which is really bizarre. Moses didn't circumcise his kids. God nearly killed him. And his, and his wife does it, right? And you're like, oh, that's all interesting. You know, there's a, um, people sometimes forgot, and I don't know why, to do the physical side of the, of the uh, obedience. But Moses is definitely doing his best to make sure that we circumcise our hearts. A theme completely picked up by all the prophets. Yes? Every, every prophet is, is, is there saying, make, circumcise your hearts, create yourselves yourselves clean hearts it's always been um a heart issue all right um and 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 it's and it's and being circumcised or not circumcised while is is an issue what you do even after you are circumcised is unbelievably important think of the sons of aaron okay okay there's aaron and his sons are circumcised but two of them are burnt up by fire. Right? So it, it's the, the, the physical bit, while that's very important, is still that uh, you've got to walk out your salvation with fear and trembling and uh, the, the constant appeal to have a, a circumcised heart. Okay. 
Okay, so Jennifer says, um, isn't circumcision an Old Testament practice by um, like, like uh, Genesis 24, 2, where Abraham says his servant, place your hand under my thigh? Um, I'm actually not sure of all of uh, uh, Old Testament customs. Circumcision was definitely a, a covenant uh, practice with Israel. Other nations also circumcised, right? But they didn't have a different reason. I've got the verse here, Aaron, that says in Jeremiah 9, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised, merely in the flesh, Egypt, Judah, Eden, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of their hair. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Yes. There, there's right. Circumcision is is a is a practiced Middle Eastern thing. Not hundred percent sure why Egypt and these other nations are doing it. Israel's covenant is 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 a sign of a relationship. So their reason for being circumcised physically is for that as a sign. However, um, the Moses and the prophets constantly calling uh, for the circumcision to be on the heart. That's where you really got to have it. Um, the, the the heart issue. All right. Okay. Um, so circumcise your hearts and don't be stiff-necked any longer. So this this heart and stubbornness side are linked together. Now, for the Lord your God, and then we get into this very interesting um, description of God's character. The Lord your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords. The great God, mighty and awesome. Okay. Exactly why that needs to be said per se, God of gods, Lord of lords. I mean, we know he's king of kings and things like that. Deuteronomy 4 has already shown that there are no other gods, right? We've already had our first monotheistic statement. But here, even if people are still swayed by, by other gods, particularly the golden calf, no, your God is above all other ones. He's mighty. He's awesome. He shows no partiality, even though I've just told you that you're chosen. Yep. Isn't that an interesting, interesting dichotomy? Even though um, God has chosen the Jewish people, that doesn't mean he hates Gentiles. Okay? He has the same view uh, with everyone, but he has chosen Israel as a special responsibility. And then in verse 17, and he accepts no bribes. Okay. Any comments on that 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 verse? Aaron, I find that the the King James says it rather interestingly. It says that uh, he, he doesn't regard persons and doesn't take reward. Okay. Doesn't take reward. What do you think, Arya? What's the Hebrew there? Uh, it's definitely bribery. Yeah. Shochan. Shochan. Yeah. Bad thing. Yeah. The, um, the, the, we have a prime minister on trial for it. For it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, the New King James people did have, did, didn't quite know what to do with this God take, doesn't take any bribes. Well, of course he doesn't take any bribes. I mean, how are you going to do it? Seriously. <laughs> you know? Um, hey, Lord, oh, we try it all the time. I'll, I'll slip you a few 50 shekels here <laughs> if you do this. Like, oh, fantastic. No, I've always wanted to load my bank account up with a few of these. 
Whose face Aaron, is on this bill? Aaron, isn't this ind indicative of, of much of prayer today where it's almost like you try and bargain with the Lord? Yeah. Yeah. We, we offer him something uh, that's not so important to us in the hope that it's more important to him than he'll let us offer <laughs> it for free. Yeah. Yes, that's a good, yeah, good way to put it. Maybe half a heart will do. How about <laughs> half a heart, Lord? Yeah. It is, it's, the, it's the classic, uh, not the classic, it, the, it's the Hebrews, I mean, Moses is deliberate saying this, God doesn't take any bribes. Well, of course he doesn't take bribes. Well, who does, right? We do. And we've often tried to impose our way of how we think of ourselves onto the Lord, you know, like, well, we take bribes and um, God's a bit like us. And uh, I'll also try some of this bargaining practice, you know, please, Lord, you know, um, do this and I'll be a good boy. I'll say extra prayers for you. I will, you know, um, give the first thing I see coming out the house to the fire or whatever and say really dumb things. And Moses is here saying, no, that's not the way it works. Right, that you that it, there is no bargaining here with the Lord. Uh, he doesn't take bribes. You shouldn't either. This is also a self self reflection for the people of Israel, um, because unfortunately we do. We we see it not just in Jewish culture; it's in every culture. Okay? I mean, um, um, one thing I do happen to admire about Israeli politics. Uh, unfortunately, there's not a lot that I admire about Israeli politics. Um, it's a bit of a mess, is at least when they do catch somebody, they do put them in jail, okay, as opposed to other nations, okay. Um, uh, don't want to point any fingers, but at least uh, when someone actually goes to trial and gets caught, they, they do put a prime minister. We put one prime minister and one, one president in, in prison in the 20 years that I've lived here, you know. So not too bad, actually. That does show that, you know, we will... Even if you're a prime minister, uh, you do have to face justice. So, um, okay, so God shows no partiality. And he doesn't accept a reward. There is no way to bribe him. Okay? Um, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. Ooh, okay. So what does that look like? Any verse that pops out to your mind? Something in the letter of James in the New Testament. Yeah, yeah. So here we have the character of God in Deuteronomy, that um, you know God is the most incredible, powerful thing there is. He's the God of gods. He's the King of kings. And he is concerned with the weakest members of your society. Mm. He is the concerned with those who have very little, for those that have no family lineage left. No one's going to shelter them um, and, and, or, or provide for them, but God will. And uh, which is a very, he is very powerful. At the same time, he is incredibly compassionate. Uh, he, has, he has complete justice. He will show no partiality and he will not take a bribe. But, um, and this aspect of him. And that theme of because God is defending the fatherless and the widow, if that's what God does, what's the Jewish way of trying to walk like God? Do the same. And so you see it in the letter of James that true religion is to take care of the widows and the orphans, right? The fatherless and, the, and, the, and that. But it's already in other prophets as well. 
Um, this is deeply rooted in Israeli society. It's a wonderful blessing to see. Uh, we, as probably most of you know, we fight among the strong and argue and uh, push and pull and do this, that, and the other, but there is a very deep-seated and broad consensus of mercy and uh, support for the weak. Yep. It's, it's that throughout the special education system, the beggars on the street do quite well, as a matter of fact, according to some studies, and uh, blessings to the Society of Israel for it. Yes, it's a, to mimic the character of God. And it's been ingrained since Moses, and it's still seen, still seen to this day. And, uh, this, and, it, and it has been, it's been reflected all through Jewish history and, and including biblical commentary. So here's the question. Why did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And the answer? What, what rushes to your head? They were evil. Okay, there you go. A combination of homosexuality. I mean, that was one of them. I was like, yeah, hang on. And, they didn't and, listen to God. They well, didn't care for widows and orphans. Yes. So in, in Exodus, uh, sorry, in, uh, in, in, Ezekiel. Um, in Ezekiel. Genesis, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is, is homosexuality. It's sort of, but yes, in Ezekiel, it's um, switched. The prophet says Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because they didn't look after the widows and the orphans. Mm. And you go, well, how does that one work? Well, that's um, it's a it's a it's it's the character of God, and uh, and and, and it, it even shows up uh, in in um, in James. Okay, and God all of a sudden, because he shows no partiality, and even though he has chosen the Jewish people, he also loves the foreigner, the stranger, okay, uh, who, who lives uh, residing among you, giving them food and clothing. All right, so why are the strangers there? Why, why does Israel always have strangers living amongst her? They came out from Egypt with strangers. Yes, they did. Yeah. They were there right at the beginning. To remind us that we were strangers in Egypt. There's another thing. Yep, Bernardo, strangers are around us and God loves them. And that reminds us that God loves us when we were strangers. So we should uh, respond in kind. They and I love I Isaiah 56, 6 is wonderful the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane and hold fast to his covenant. I love that. It's, that's it. I like that one too. Why that's are the different, That's there? a different word for foreigner as well. That's nochri in Isaiah. That is a foreign, 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 foreigner, not a gay who came out of Egypt with us and has adapted right, right. us and knew us from the start. It's somebody who came out of Patagonia. Yeah. Uh, in New Zealand, that's, that's, that's the furthest away from Israel. Is, is a and, God and, God, and God loves and welcomes him as well. That's true. God loves the Kiwis as well. Um, Rangers need help. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the, uh, the, uh, why are the strangers there in, in, um, in Isaiah? What is it that, what has... Israel got that so attractive that it, that strangers would come that now need to be treated kindly. 
there are Babylonians that want to rejoin the return to Zion. Yeah, there's um, you, it's the Israel was chosen to do what? Be a light to the nations. Yes. So if if we are going to be a light to the nations, if we're actually going to show how good this Torah is, remember in Deuteronomy in some of the earlier chapters, uh, Moses says. Other nations are going to say, what, what an incredible people. Look at the wisdom that they've got. I mean, none of us have such a great law like they do that takes care of the weak and looks after everybody. Right. Um, let's go join them. So it's going to be attractive. People are going to be attracted to this to God. God's going to reveal himself in the character of his people because his laws are going to also reflect his character. Um, now, if they do come, which is the whole point, you're going to end up with strangers. You're going to end up with people not like you around you. And God is saying, make sure you take care of them. Make sure you don't uh, uh, shun them. Make sure you, be, you, you, you don't become xenophobic. And um, uh, okay, so uh, what's, the, what's the question you got, Bernard? And the word for join is? Lilavot. Uh, yes. Lilavot. To accompany. To a company, yeah. It is uh, based the, on the same root as Levi. Le, it is. It's the same same verb as uh, Levi, which same is root. same root, which is also heart. Okay. No, 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 no. The Levite is with a vav, not a bet. Oh, is it? Yes, you're correct. Yeah. So there you go. It's uh, um, the the to join and to and to join the people and to become a Levite, almost the same thing. Leah used the same word in her uh, uh, birth of her second son, in which she said, now my husband will accompany me. It will be a Levite to me. <laughs> and yeah. therefore her son was called Le Levi. Levi. Mm -hmm. uh, there you go. It's good. All right. So... You are uh, 19. You are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Mm -hmm. So, the national memory of the Jewish people, or one part of the national memory, is to reflect uh, uh, the character of God and also to remind them that they were slaves. Okay? The, the Israelite story is not that we were born in Israel, these stones are, you know, gave birth to us. It's no, we come from the outside. We have been brought into this. This is an incredible adventure and a journey. Everything we get is an inheritance from God. Nothing we deserve. We were slaves. Okay, it's a very, very powerful and very important national memory to have. Um, verse 20. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Okay, we've had those uh, before. Uh, hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. Now, I know that in the New Testament, Jesus says, let your yes be yes and no be no. Um, but that actually doesn't mean you can't take oaths, honestly. Because actually, anyone here who's been married has actually taken an oath. Uh, you have. You stood before God and you made some promises. Um, and uh, so, so not taking oaths is is not in the Bible. Okay? It, it doesn't quite mean what we think it means. All right. He is the one that you praise. He is your God. He has performed those great and awesome wonders that you have seen with your own eyes. Okay? And uh, why is he saying all these, these things? 
Because a lack of fear, a lack of awe, a lack of respect, a lack of obedience, a lack of kindness uh, to the strangers is going to um, cause the people to forget God. They'll forget all the great things that God has done. And, uh, and then that's going to lead them astray. And so memory is incredibly important. So to remind ourselves how powerful God is, to remind ourselves the great things he has done, to remind ourselves of the character of God. And how do you, rem- how do you engage in memory? You do it. Yeah. And um, commandments, getting together and constantly studying the Lord, engaging in that um, is all part uh, of, of the journey. In, uh, and then the ending of this chapter uh, is, a, is a short summary, again, of memory. Your ancestors, remember the ones that, um, that God has affection for, this great and awesome God who made the heavens and the earth, looked out at a, a group of 70 people and uh, as they went down into Egypt, and now look how many are. Uh, right? And not only that, you're not alone because the, the, the Ger, the strangers, some of the Egyptians have actually already already joined you, which is, which is good. All right. Any other comments on our, on our chapter? Uh, yes, Aaron. I yeah. just want to pull on the subject of the circumcision. Okay. Um, we could see that... Um, when, um, when the Lord was going to give the Pesach um, doctrine, it says that anyone that is not circumcised should not partake in the Pesach doctrine. Correct. Yeah, which is talking about a physical circumcision. But if we look at, um, I think it's First Corinthians, um, First Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul was talking about taking the Lord's Supper, he used the same kind of narrative, and yeah. um, which I just wanted to pull out to say, let everybody examine himself before eating the bread, you know. Um, so it, it talks about the spiritual concept of what the, the physical thing of the, of the Pesach was talking about in, in, in Exodus. Yes, yep, absolutely. In fact, Paul encourages us to keep the feast, both Passover and the Lord's Supper in the right fashion. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. uh, which for Moses, Paul, for Yeshua, for all of it, God, would be a circumcised heart. That doesn't discount a physical circumcision. Right? I don't think, absolutely. I don't think, I don't think anyone, actually I don't know of anyone, who would say that um, Paul or Yeshua or, or any of his followers have ever advocated uh, banning circumcision for believers um, or for Jewish people. We just, we just don't. Um, in fact, a lot of countries practice circumcision too, just like the other nations are around uh, Israel. Um, I know that in Australia we did. I don't think we do anymore, do we? We used to. The U.S. also. U.S. as well? But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, um, and there's lots of you know, medical studies physically as to why it might be a good idea. But um, mm-hmm. the, the, the intention here is for us to examine ourselves inwardly to make sure that uh, our heart is right. But at the same time, once the heart is right, it should be, and in connection to, walking out, um, uh, observing the commandments, and being upright, serving 
the Lord, knowing our place, uh, responding, being in relationship and responding to the idea of being chosen. Aaron, I like the short sentence there in that last verse, uh, or in verse 21. It just says, he is your praise. Uh, as yeah. far as I know, that's not mentioned anywhere else. So that just kind of stands alone there. That's just surprising in the sense that suddenly he wants to mention this aspect and that we should, you know, audibly and actively actually praise the Lord. Yeah. I wonder what that looked like in the desert. I wonder what songs they created or what sort of worship they might have had. That would actually have been an incredible sound, don't you think, at night in the desert if they decided to have a worship time? That would be awesome. Yes, so here's your praise. I I wonder if that is the only time that it it appears. Shall I have to double-check on that one? I think it is. Well, in in that kind of wording, yeah. Uh, at least when they crossed the when they crossed the Red Sea, uh, Moses um, taught them a song that they they began to sing, and Miriam also helping singing that song. So that's one of the songs they were singing. I'm sure they will have lots of songs they were singing over there. Yes, actually, the very first time that Miriam talks in the Bible is singing. Ashira <laughs> la. <laughs> yeah, and if you've ever seen Prince of Egypt, they do it slightly better than that. Oh, come on. <laughs> I, I, I love that show. Every, every Passover, we watch it, and when you get to that song, it's a great song. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Ashira, Ashira, Ashira. That's the one. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I like is that it comes up in Revelation, and we're going to be singing it right at the end. Yes. And listening yeah. to it at least. The song and, of Moses. And, the song of Moses. I think it is it Zechariah. It's one of the prophets where God says, I will rejoice and sing over you. Zephaniah. Zephaniah, thank you very yeah. much. And you know, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, God sings. Now that's got to be a good sound. Okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That, that's going to be a good sound. So yeah. that, that verse 21 is actually quite a nice way to end the chapter, isn't it? That mm-hmm. out of all of this description of God's character, that he is mercifully not going to destroy them because of their great sin. He's going to uh, give them some great rules that are going to create a just society. There's going to be no bribery. We're caring for the weak. Um, and, uh, and the stranger who is now attracted to this God because of the way we're worshipping and, and serving him, then it will respond with, with praise. Part of the relationship, part of the love and adoration of God is going to be the human response to break into praise. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to probably say it for all of us, but I think we all like to praise and worship, do we not? Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. And, you know, there is that great part of this relationship where we can go together as, as, as believers and just begin to, to, to worship the Lord in, in you know, tell him how wonderful he is. He already knows that, of course, but as part of the relationship to, to speak that way. Okay. Because he has done great and awesome wonders. And I'm going to probably also say for all of us, we have all seen that with our own eyes. Yes? Mm-hmm. And may that strengthen us in the days to come because we mm-hmm. might need it. 
Amen. Okay, brothers and sisters, thank you very much for a great study. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.